Welcome to Season 2 of Diversity Dialogue, Cub Edition, brought to you by the Office of Diversity and Inclusion at the University of Detroit Jesuit High School and Academy. I'm Dr. Denise Williams-Mallet, the Director of the Office of Diversity and Inclusion and Diversity Union Club Moderator. The Office of Diversity and Inclusion is so proud to offer programs that will help harness the ideas and voices of our young men to champion change. This podcast is designed to give voice to a generation that wants to transform the world. The student-led podcast offers a platform for fresh ideas, collaborations, and dialogue. Each episode will be hosted by the show's host, Diversity Union President Jacob Manastra, Class of 2022. Jacob will give the leaders of our student organizations, our students, parents, and alumni an opportunity to address, explore, and voice their perspective on today's diversity, inclusion, and belonging topics during the podcast. I am so proud and excited to present to you the host of Diversity Dialogue, Cub Edition, University of Detroit Jesuits' very own Jacob Manastra. Good afternoon, Mr. Gagosian. Glad to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? Good, Mr. Manastra. Good. <laughs> Glad to hear that. Um, so just to get started, maybe just introduce yourself a bit. Uh, tell us a bit about, you know, who you are, you know, your background, just all that. Sure. My name's Ed Gagosian. I graduated from here in 1967. Um, I uh, had a career as a lawyer for like 38 years oh, wow. out in California. And in uh, 2017, I retired, and I moved back to northern Michigan, where I had a cottage. Yeah. Uh, and two years ago, right after COVID started, I had some experiences and felt a call to come back here and volunteer here at U of D Jesuit. Interesting. Um, I have been on the board of advisors here for, I don't know, 12 years, 15 years, something like that. So I was always coming here right. uh, and often thought, yeah, what would it be like to be here more frequently? Yeah. Um, but the but COVID, the impact on communities of color, the Floyd murder, and then there was a, excuse me, a big Zoom teleconference that the school conducted for alumni and parents. Yeah. And that was a, that was a very, very profound for me to hear some of the black alumni talk about their experiences. So it just, I don't know, it just, it just, I was called to come here. So yeah. that's why I'm here. Awesome. So before we get on to those most more recent experiences, yeah. I'd like to ask you a bit about your experience, you know, for 50 years, 60 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I hope I'm in the same ballpark. Um, so what was it? Obviously, a lot has changed. So what, what were some of it? memories or experiences or parts of U of D that really stood out to you then and still does now? You know, the first day that I came here, the freshman class was gathered in the chapel, and uh, I think it's the vice principal talked to us about how we, we had been boys the day before, but now we were men. And that was really um, clarifying for me. It just It just made me think, okay, wow, this is this is the big leagues now, right? And um, 
it, it, it was much different here. I mean, <laughs> there there were no uh, there were no like dress down days. I don't know. Um, the, there were no uh, you know days off for raising a lot of money. There were no. I think in four years there was two weather days, but it was every day same schedule. You know, boom, boom, boom. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure it was Latin and then English and then you know I don't know uh, math, or, but it was the same every day. You know, and and yeah. and it was strict. It was very strict. Uh, there was there was a lot of rules and a lot of consequences, and oh, yeah. um, you know you learn. So yes, you do. Some faster than others, I'll say that. Yeah. Um, so you said boom, 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 the same thing every day. Did you like that? There was there was no liking about it, and I and I say this in a way that you know it's like we didn't we didn't think oh I'd rather be doing something else. This was what we were doing. Um, I was a I was an average student. I wasn't a great student. Right. And um, but it was it was what you did. Yeah. So. You know. Yeah, I guess so. And then, so you said you were in California for what, 30? 30, 30, uh, 38 years. 38 years. So, yeah. why'd you go from all the way Michigan all the way to California? <laughs> it's funny. My friends in California all ask me, why are you going to Michigan? <laughs> um, but it was, a, it was a combination of things. Um, First of all, I had a lot of friends who'd moved to San Diego, right. and I was there a number of times. And um, it's just, it just, particularly in the wintertime, it just seemed like a nice place to be. But um, when I decided to go to law school, I had been working for a while, and I took the LSAT and, and did really well on that, and that sort of counter counteracted my middling college career. And so U University of San Diego was a school that emphasized LSAT scores and life experience, which I had, so it made sense to me to go, to go there and to go to school there. And what what uh, what specifically in law did you focus on? As a practice, I uh, focused on investment fraud, big, big, big uh, securities fraud um, uh, that that affected the market, the stock market. Right. And so um, the firm I worked for represented large classes of people. Uh, it was the biggest firm in the country that did that, and so I got to I got to practice in the big leagues. It was like the major leagues of litigation, and I and I just enjoyed it. It was really challenging, and I had a lot of fun doing it, and traveled around the country and eventually around the world, uh, practicing this. And wow! But when it was time to be done, it was time <laughs> to be done. So yeah, yeah, Not yeah. I've talked to not too many lawyers, but I've never heard somebody describe it as fun. That is a first for me. Well, it's, uh, in, in, for me, litigation was this challenge of like um, putting together a really complicated jigsaw puzzle and playing um, football like on the line at the same time. Really? So it was, you know, sometimes, sometimes it was brutal, but it was, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I bet. And I got to meet a lot of really great people. I, I, the people on the other side, generally, we, we, we worked well together. Really? Um, so, yeah. So, and of course, California, even outside of the legal field, is quite different than Michigan and basically the rest of the country, really, right? Quite different. Yeah. Quite different. And um, I would say that in my, from my leaving Michigan in 1979 
and going to California, the two states' politics flipped, both states. Michigan became much more conservative, California became much more liberal. And the kinds of things that um, have turned Michigan to the right, and, and we can talk about this, diversity and, and inclusion, things like that, turned California to the left. Right. In the mid-90s, California passed a law or the governor said something about, you know, everybody should speak English, and that just sort of turned <laughs> the whole state around. Yeah. It just, just was kind of, you know. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It's a big, big place, big state, temperate weather, um, but... There's no fresh water. There's no deciduous trees. You know, the leaves don't yeah. fall off the trees in Southern California. No, they don't. You know, so I, I wasn't as enamored of it as most people are. So. Really? Yeah, yeah. Still stuck there for a long time, though. Well, I mean, I had a great job. And I got to go all kinds of places. And I got to come back here. And I, got, I, I was able to buy this place up north. Yeah. And, and spend a lot of time up north on a lake. So I kind of got the best of both worlds. I guess so. Yeah. Worked out quite well for you then? Would you say that? Well, it depends on what values we're using. Certainly certainly economics, certainly um, you know, the, the measure of our capitalist system, yeah, I did, I did quite well. But in terms of personal growth, you know, that really, that really started to change for me when I, when I got here, when I got to Michigan, and I started to focus more on what was really important. So... I guess, let me just jump off a bit of track. Yeah. I'm quite interested in uh, tr the world and all the global cultures and that. So you traveled, you said you traveled a lot of different places. What were some of your favorites? What kind stood out to you and why? Places I traveled to? Yeah. London. 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 Yeah, big, big, huge city with so much going on. Ireland, beautiful place. Uh, Hong Kong. Oh, Hong yeah. Kong is wonderful. Yeah. Um, Seattle. Yeah. Um, Probably going to go there for college, so. Yeah. University of Washington. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Any tips on uh, Seattle for me? Well, um, my sister lives there. Yeah. She lives on Lake Washington. And I just think it's, you know, the, the only tip, tip I would offer you is just keep your eyes open and enjoy as much as you can allow as much to soak in as you can because yeah. it's a different it's a different place oh yeah go down to portland that's a really different place really check out the check out the um the columbia gorge the yeah. columbia river gorge columbia. one of the most beautiful places in america i'll make sure to do that if i go down <laughs> yeah check out the oregon coast yeah yeah there's there's a lot up there that's really nice so well now i'm even more more excited to go there yeah. Potentially, um, so we don't have a whole lot of time, so unfortunately, you know, we'll have to move on and focus on a bit more diversity and inclusion. Um, so I guess starting off, what because you know it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Sure. So what does it mean for you when I say those words? What are the first things that come? Well, to mind? so uh, you know, uh, for a long time, diversity meant to me, you know, like a diverse society, a diverse culture. Right. Uh, now it's more like a photograph. That's all diversity is. Do we have a do we have a diverse face on our organization? Yeah. That's not inclusion. No, it's not. That's not inclusion. 
Um, and, and inclusion really is, uh, as an organization, as, a, as an institution, are we living that statement that I, that I read from Father Munns in 2020? Everybody belongs, everybody's included. Right. That's, that's a great statement. There's a lot behind that. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I can tell you that I'm, one of, one of the things that happened for me is I'm on the board of directors of an organization up in Traverse City. Right. That is a think tank and kind of a think and do tank that focuses on resilience in communities. Yeah. And this group decided, and, you know, all the staff's white, all the board members are white, uh, decided in May of 2020, June of 2020, about the same time I decided to come down here, that they were going to go through this me and white supremacy exercise and really focus on not just diversity, not just diversity of staff, but to look at their programs from an equity lens. And that's a word that doesn't get to get used around here, which I think should be used because we should be focused on equity. Um, so, for example, our organization's probably got, up north, has probably got a two and a half million dollar budget every year, and we focus on, you know, farm, the farm economy, and we focus on, you know, clean energy and, and um, line five, the pipeline under the, the Straits of Mackinac, yeah. lots of things like that. We are, we are going through a process by, through which we're looking at our programs, not just our staff, not just our people, not just you know, training, but our programs. Are we becoming allies to the greater community in our state? Yeah. Um, you know, for me being down here, it's just, it's just so, it's so interesting, it's so eye-opening to see places like Pingree Farms. Yeah, you know, which which is changing a neighborhood. Yeah, and it was the vision of these two people that started it. But children from the Detroit Public Schools get to go there and see animal husbandry, and our students get to go there and help out a you know an active living farm. Um. Anyway, that's you know I could go on and on and on. Yeah, I wish you had my time so you could. <laughs> Quite interesting. Uh, so taking, you know, what your definition of diversity and inclusion, because although they're often used together, they are very much not the same thing. Um, how did U of D impact or even go so far as to very, form? Very good question. Um, I went to school here between 1963 and 1967. Yeah. And as a, if you're a student of U U.S. history, 1963 was the start, was when we, well, we'd been involved in Vietnam for a while, but it really started to ramp up. Yes, it did. 63 was also the year Kennedy was murdered. 63 was the year that, um, I'm pretty sure it was the March on Washington. So that you have this tremendous uh, anti-war movement and tremendous civil rights movement going on, you know, all the time, marches, protests all the time. But just, just the nightly news. You know, so I grew up in a family, I grew up in Royal Oak, and my, my grandmother was racist, you know, in a, in a quiet sort of way. My father was 
pretty racist <laughs> in a, a not-so-quiet way. Um, yeah. And, you know, I can remember being here every day and being, being, you know, exposed to this idea that I'm a man and that, you know, I'm being formed in this Jesuit spirituality and all I can see is the injustice. Yeah. That's all I can see is the injustice. So we, we had a little TV and it was on during dinner and, and um, my father would just rant and rail about these protesters, whether it was civil rights protesters or anti-war protesters, what right do they have to do that? And I found my voice with him. You know, I just really, I, we went at it, you know? Yeah. And so for me, I got my identity, number one. Number two, there was, there's some values that just permeated me, even before I got here, but more so here. And, and the idea of justice and, and social justice yeah. has been with me ever since then. Yeah. Um, not, not that I always practiced it or thought about it, or, but it's always been there. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, just to come into the city of Detroit every day um, was, and you know, and at the time, this was a much, this was a much whiter neighborhood. I mean, it wasn't completely white, yeah. but it was, it was whiter. Um, but it just, it just formed in me this idea that, you know, I would, I'm going to quote you some scripture now. But, but Micah, 6, 8, you know, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Right. Those are, those are, those are values that, again, they always haven't been part of my value system. But to me, that's, that's what we're called to do. Yeah. And not a, not a fast forward all the way to 2020. In late April and early May of last year, when we started to learn about the terrible impact of COVID on communities of color, yeah. it suddenly like hit me that it wasn't that there was something genetic about people of color. No. And I never thought that, but it just was like, oh, you know, what was going on? Well, it's the injustices, economic injustice, educational injustice, housing injustice, food access. I mean, just, you know, we could go on and on and on. Yeah. And we see that then explode into the criminal justice system, which, you know, I mean... Not really serving justice, in my opinion. No, exactly. And, and so one of the things I've really, really tried to keep in mind is it's the why isn't nearly as important as the what right now. Right. The what is so big but we're caught up in the whys. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important that we know our history. I absolutely do. But we, we need to know our present. And, and, and we're not, we're just, we just don't pay attention to it. We're distracted. And I could go off on, you know, <laughs> on, on the, our economic system. I mean, I've been troubled by our economic system since I was here. And, and yet I'm a huge beneficiary of it. So I come back to the gifts I've been given, the opportunity I had to come to this school, 
which is which is the life changing event of my life. Yeah, and um, that while I benefited from the economic system and from being born white in America, it wasn't it wasn't my call. You know, it, it, no. it, it wasn't my call. No, those things are not mine. They're God's. And uh, and I, all I'm called to do is to know His will and to and to use my resources as He as He directs. Right. Do I do that all the time? No, but that's you know that's that's up here. That's my, my that's my calling. Yeah, yeah. So with all this injustice, it, it, it's it's it it I, I don't know I I've encountered. A lot of throughout my life, a lot of resistance to the idea of um, leveling the leveling the water. You know, right. let's 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 everybody float up together. Yeah. Um, you know, we hear these common arguments. Well, those people should work harder. Right. Those people, um, you know, this is America. Everybody can get what they want. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, it's ludicrous. It's totally untrue. And, it, and it's gotten worse in the 50 years since I was here. Way worse. The inequalities or the magnet, like the frequency at which you see them? Both. Um, the access is what I, what I think about. I think if we took all the money we could or we took all the talented people we could and we put them in the destroyed school system and we, and we worked to elevate the quality of education in the Detroit school system, in the Flint school system, in Benton Arbor, wherever else. Um, at least there couldn't be an argument made, look, we've given you this, you have had this, op- you have this opportunity, right. um, we've reformed the laws, <laughs> you're, you're welcome in our society, now, you know, get to work. Yeah. Um, but we don't, we don't do that, I mean, it's just, yeah. Yeah, I, really, I, I could, I could rail, and I don't want to rail because I think what it comes back to is what's my, what's my responsibility, what's my obligation, exactly. and and um, I went through this me and white supremacy workbook, and I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but I would commend it to you just to read, yeah, uh, because it's a series of short little vignettes about you know white supremacy, yeah. white exceptionalism. Um, you know, on and on and on, and what it means, and, and and the ideas to reflect back on, and really think about what's that mean in my life. Yeah. And and the. You know, people people go through this process, and I've gone through it now three times with people, and they think, okay, what am I going to have to do? What am I going to have to give up? And at the end, it's not about you giving up anything. Yeah. It's about you being aware of these things and being a, being an ally. Yeah. And speaking up and speaking out and supporting people who are oppressed. Exactly. Um, so let me let me just let me just take this one thought back. I told you that I'm on this board, and we decided to go through this process, right. and we've done that, and we've hired a, a a couple consultants, different different focuses on our on our people and on our programs. But one of the things that the the staff started to do was. There's a big Native American community in, in Northwest Michigan, right. and they started to invite them in for Thurs- on Thursdays for lunch to talk about 
what their experiences are, what their culture's like. And, and so there's this whole series of videos that have been created as a result of this. And we have a much closer connection to that community and we have one of the, one of the people from that community is on our advisory board and we want her on our board, but she's too busy. And, but, but the idea is I think we have so many things we can do and um, you know, people are just so resistant. You know, what what is this? What do I have to give up? You don't have to give up anything except your your attitudes. You know, let go of them. Don't be afraid. Yeah. So it it's interesting to me that you say so many people are resistant because so many times when I talk to people, they say something like, you know, the majority of people believe in the right thing. It's, it's just the lack of action that we need. So that you know, if we if you told a hundred people racism was bad, ninety eight would agree. It's just that only five of them actively fight against it. And so when you say there's so many people that are actively fighting against you know condemning racism and condemning these things, I guess my question to you would be: Does is the is that the main issue for you or? Do you believe that it's the lack of action that the rest of the population... So let me talk from my own experience, because I think that's, that's where I've come out, is that I can only talk about my own. I can only really focus on where I'm at. And I realized a year ago, May, June, that I was always... I always had this belief that if I voted for the right people and they got elected, they would solve the problem. And my, and my whole thing shifted to, this is a heart issue, H-E-A-R-T. It's an individual change we need to make. And that, um, so so in this process, and for me going through it, and I, I led a couple of these, these um, uh, workshops here at the school with faculty, with some faculty members last year, I, I heard about parents' reactions to some of the things that were said here at the school about white supremacy, for example, or about white privilege. Yeah. And I thought, wow, what are we going to do to straighten these people out, you know? Good question. And, and uh, you know, so, uh, so I, was, I was talking to a friend of mine and, and saying, oh, my friend was wearing a t-shirt one day which said it takes a big heart to teach us a little mind. And she's a early education teacher. Yeah. And I and I just I thought about that statement for a couple of days and I thought, man, that's universal. And I thought, you know, because those people who think white privilege isn't real, they got little minds. And then I realized, wait a minute, I, I got a little mind when I think that way. Yeah. And so I went back to my friend to, to talk to her about this, and I started telling this story about white privilege. She goes, well, it's not real. <laughs> and I thought, okay. You know, this reinforces the point that I, that I need to be really aware of, that it's not the language. You know, I think the language gets in the way in a big way. White supremacy, white privilege. Right. But these injustices are still there. Yeah. And what are we doing about it? Yeah. You know, uh, what are we doing about it? Yeah. So, 
I guess what, what I'm hearing is that, yeah, the people cause the problems, but, and the problems cause the consequences. Are you saying you want to focus on the consequences? Yeah. Now, does that mean we can't focus on the what's ha- how it happens? No, I think we have to look at that. But I think it's, I think the only way to deal with the problem is to look at the problem, not to start pointing fingers. Um, look at what happened when South Africa gave up apartheid. That was and Nelson Mandela. I mean, he he they came up with this truth commission and yeah. that's the way they process it rather than you know cr- cr- creating this continual fight and conflict they looked at what happened yeah um, the church in North Carolina or South Carolina where the guy came into a bible study and he Dylan Roof and he shot nine people yeah what did those people do they forgave him they forgave him, which gave them way more peace than a constant sort of, you know, fight for revenge and vengeance and all that. But but I think that that in this instance, this is a this is an enormous problem, and there are lots and lots and lots of people working on it. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I really, you know, became more aware of because is this whole impact, the impact of climate change on the poor. Yeah. And how much greater it is. And there's a group here in Detroit, Detroiters United for Environmental Justice. Yeah. Um, To me, for me, I think that students at U of D Jesuit need to learn more about policy and public policy and how it's, how it's enacted and created, because <laughs> that's the whole point of the critical race theory, which, you know, no one wants to talk about. But it is, you know, it, we, we've gotten where we've gotten because right. of go- government policy. Right. The filibuster. Yeah. You know, I mean, just the, the fact that we have, every state has two senators. I mean, it's just, it's just, yeah, because because we embrace slavery as an economic uh, element of our of our system. Are, are you saying that because of we we embrace slavery that resulted in the House and the Senate, or just this? Well, the House is is proportional. Right. The Senate is not. Yeah. Which gives all these small little states, the South, more power than the North. Or it, it balances it out, maybe. Let, let, let's put that. But I, but I think that, um, yeah. We will, I was not taught that. Um, I'm taking history now because I didn't take it in China, U.S. history. And the reasoning for the Senate, they said, was simply to make sure that, you know, as you said, the smaller states have equal representation, but they never focus about the demographics. Yeah, that, said, and, and, and that's what I was taught. The same exact thing, that it's just, you know, it balances a balance of power, you know, there's checks and balances. Yeah. Well, we've now seen that those checks and balances really don't work, that the, that the, that the minority can really hold up the, the system. Yeah. And the, the left didn't pay enough attention to the Supreme Court 
So now the Supreme Court is reinforcing all these things, or will, you know, over time. But anyway, it's just it's just endemic, and it's just public policy that leads us to this point. Wow, public policy. Yeah. Not heard many people say that public policy is such a big player. I've heard, you know, I've heard the justice system, education system. I guess in some ways you could say public policy. So think about it. In in Michigan. We don't have uh, equal proportionate financing for education. No, we don't. Per child, right? No, we don't. That's a public policy. That's a problem. It is. A That's problem. a problem when you, we have wealthy districts where, in the wealthy districts, not only can do they do they have more tax money, but they raise more money. They you know they, they come in and they privately buy things you know for the students. Fine, dandy, but that's a public policy. Um, the, the pipeline under the Straits of Mackinac. Yeah. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous that there's such a thing. If that thing ever breaks, what happened in California these, this few weeks ago will be minuscule compared to the mess that will create. And over time, so, so, the, so the oil in that pipeline comes from Canada and goes back into Canada yes, through Sarnia yeah. because Eastern Canada needs oil. One wonders why it doesn't go through Northern Ontario. Exactly. Yeah. Canadian government doesn't want their, their precious, you know, environmentally san uh, sensitive lands uh, soiled. Right, yeah. Public policy. So you know, it's just, it just all comes back to public. And we now have this treaty and everybody's trying to twist all the people from like uh, Enbridge and the Republicans are trying to twist Joe Biden's arm to get him to enforce this treaty, which you know, which would allow that pipeline to stay there. Yeah. Anyway, it's just everything comes back to public policy. Okay. Everything does. Um, huh. <laughs> that is something that I've learned today. Yeah. Good. Good. So I guess to wrap things up, I wish we could talk more about public policy, honestly. I'll give you another example. Affordable housing. Yeah. We, we, we don't have a public policy that says we need and will have public affordable housing for people. Yeah. So we have these, these places like Northern Michigan where there's all these fancy resorts and they don't have enough people to keep the restaurants open. I mean, I know this is more of a universal problem because people decided after COVID they didn't want to work as much but yeah. um, I, I think if you just think about any any social issue criminal justice I mean that's public policy yeah social so, welfare very much public policy yeah 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 yeah, yeah. education yeah to, to an extent yeah and now what gets taught in schools you know we're going to pass laws that abridge the right the, the free speech rights of people, and the Supreme Court will find a way to say, yeah, that's okay, that's all right. Um, but, yeah, it, it, to me, that is, that is the area, it, and, and our public policy is largely uh, held hostage by lobbyists and lobbying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's all, it's, all, it's all bought and paid for. Yeah. Um, not so much on the local level. On the local level, I, I think we see more 
like if, if you go around the city of Detroit and you see you see blocks where there are vacant lots and dilapidated property and you know there's this public policy that the city of Detroit has a land bank right. and the people can can acquire land from the land bank at a at a significant discount with the with the requirement that they do things with the property or they lose it or reverse back to the city. I mean, I think that's great public policy. The fact that we allow farms in the city of Detroit, great public policy. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> so Sorry. No. But I, no, I think, again, we don't have a public policy in this country on inclusion. We just don't. No, we don't. And we never have. Um, how did How did you come to the United States? Uh, so I was born in Korea. Um, I was put up for adoption. So then I was adopted by uh, mom and dad here. Oh. Yeah. So that's and then we moved to China and then we moved back because of my dad's job. But yeah, that's that's how I came. What, what nationality are your parents? Your your they're adopted. both Caucasian. Oh my adopt my yeah my adopted are both Caucasian yeah. yeah. And you know your your Korean parents? I. Not yet. Oh. When I turn 18, I'll hopefully figure that stuff out. Yeah, interesting. But interesting. Yeah. Um. No, I mean, I guess a lot of people view like some of those important Supreme Court cases, you know, as the, the sort of baseline for inclusion. But as we know, Supreme Court cases, they are not really good things to right. be. Right. Uh, it, it's a terrible way to make public policy. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Um, yeah, yeah. So, well, Jacob. Yeah. Any other any other questions? I don't think so. I, you know, and if you want to follow up, please let me know. I'm happy to. I'm happy to chat yeah. on and on and on. Without a doubt. Thank you very much, Mr. So, Gillian. All right. Thank you. Thank you.